Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Watching this, I like to watch the award shows, but the problem is I cannot stand listening to the acceptance speeches. Basically, every time I watch the Super Bowl, you're handing out the MVP, whenever I'm watching the um, Grammys, whenever I'm watching the Oscars, it seems like every single person that receives the award, they stand up on stage and they essentially just tell the world how awesome they are. And I kind of think to myself, you don't have to tell everybody how awesome you are. You're the Super Bowl MVP. You just received the pinnacle of success in your industry. You received a Grammy. You received an Oscar. Joseph, I might need you to move the slider down on that just a little bit because it's pretty loud. And then I think to myself, I can't sit here and stomach this much longer because there always feels like, perfect, thank you, there always feels like there's something a little bit amiss here with these award shows. I was having lunch with somebody last week. We were talking about this. We were talking about pride and humility. And I told them, there's really only one speech that I've been able to watch at the Grammys that that sounded like that's exactly what people should be saying at the Grammys. It happened to come from my favorite hip-hop artist, Christian by the name of Lecrae. Now, this isn't Lecrae's first Grammy, but he received a Grammy for the best gospel music in 2015. And when he received that Grammy, he said something as he was standing up there receiving the award that's frankly true of everybody in the room and everybody who goes across the stage and walks away with the ultimate of success. Lecrae said what I was really feeling in my heart, and I can't do this justice, so I'm just going to let you hear his words when he accepted the Grammy in 2015. Check this out. It's a lot of us up here, I know. It's a basketball team. Uh, well, man, I, love and respect to uh, everybody out here because it, this is a celebration of gifts. And there's so many people out here who are gifted, um, but obviously you can't celebrate gifts without celebrating the giver of all gifts. So I want to celebrate Jesus for gifting us all, uh, you know, with the gift of love and sacrifice and uh, my beautiful family who've, who've, you know, supported me since day one, uh, Reach Records, uh, Red Distribution, and um, all these incredible writers right here. Yeah. So as I was thinking about this today, I was thinking, you know, it's true that ultimately the gift of the ability to sing a great vocals or the gift of the ability to act or some spectacular athletic abilities, they ultimately come from the gift giver. And sure, you should thank your family. And of course, you should talk about the people that helped get you where you are. But really, the one who deserves credit is the gift giver for the gifts that you and I have received. Today, we're going to talk about humility. 
And humility is becoming extinct. It used to be endangered in the United States. It's becoming extinct in the United States. And I've got a quote on the screens that's kind of my way of interpreting my hero in the faith, a guy by the name of Augustine who lived almost 1,800 years ago. And Augustine, when he was talking about pride and humility, he said it this way. Check this out, y'all. He said, pride ultimately turned angels into demons. And it's humility that will take us humans who are acting like demons and turn us back into the perfect angelic creatures that God originally created for us to be in the Garden of Eden. That's why this statement on the screen, here's what you're going to hear from me today. It basically says, at the bedrock of humanity, when you strip everything else away and you go to the very basis of humanity, it's humility that makes us right before God, and it makes us able to relate with other people. Humility really is the bedrock of humanity. And I don't even need to know you to know that all of us, to some degree or another, some a little bit, some of us a lot, we all struggle with pride from time to time. We all want everybody to look at us and to tell us how awesome we are. And today, what you see is the single greatest human being to ever step foot on planet Earth, does something shocking, he does something scandalous, and he takes on the role of the lowliest slave, not a servant, not like a household um, worker, but the lowliest slave in the community, and it shocks all of his disciples, so much so that they're almost offended by what just happened when Jesus took off their dirty sandals, and he washed the feet of his disciples. Two weeks ago, we were looking at John chapter 13. Then last week, we took a short pause and looked at one of the greatest servants in the household, mom, and one of the greatest moms in the Bible, a lady by the name of Hannah. Today, we're back to John chapter 13. And today, Jesus is going to explain to his disciples why he just did what he did, because it's so shocking, but also he's going to put it right in our lap and tell us what we're supposed to do about what just happened. So I'm going to give you basically three strategies if you struggle with pride and don't act like you don't ever deal with this at all. Some of you are pretty good at this. Others of you got a long way to go. I'm going to give you three strategies if you're going to deal with and get really serious about pride, if you're going to figure out how to truly be humble, and I mean not just act humble, but to actually be humble. And the first comes from John chapter 13. We're going to start reading in just a second in verse 12, but this is Jesus's way of serving others. And look at what I put on the screens. The truly humble guy or gal in the room, they don't look for other people to serve them first. They first look to serve others. And after they serve others, then they take their proper place in the room. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does. He's the first to serve his disciples when he washes their feet. And now he's going to explain why he just did what he did, starting in verse 12 of John chapter 13. When Jesus had washed their feet and he put on his outer clothing, which means he had to strip all the way down basically to his skivvies when he did this, he reclined again and said to them, pause, 
Reclined again means he took back up the center seat at the table. He took back up his seat at the head of the table after he had just done something so lowly, so scandalous that it shocked his disciples. And then he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? Of course they know. But Jesus wants to explain the significance, the spiritual significance of what he just did. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, look at this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Say the word example out loud. That's an important word. We'll come back to it in just a second. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus is speaking about the Father, and he's speaking to us about him. A servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed. If you say the last two words, if you do them, it's not good enough to just know them. He's expecting his people to do what we read in the Bible. Now, Jesus gets up from the head of the table, basically, and he kind of strips down and he takes on the role of the most humble person in the room. He does the thing that you wouldn't even ask a Jewish house servant to do. This is something for a, uh, a slave. And Jesus washes their feet. Then after he's done with that, he puts back on his cloak and he goes back to the head of the table and he says, you know what? You guys call me master. That's what the word Lord means. Literally Lord, or you're in charge or you're uh, above me. You call me Lord and you call me teacher. I'm the teacher. You're the student. And Jesus says, and by the way, you're right. I am the teacher. I am the master, but I've just given you an example. Now, when other people See the word example. By the way, churches have got this wrong. Whole denominations have got this word wrong. They kind of thought that what Jesus was saying is, hey, the example that I gave you, I want you to do the same thing. So, hey, y'all, take off your shoes before the service is over with. I'm going to be out the back of the door with a bucket, and we're, I'm going to wash everybody's feet. And literally, in some churches and some denominations, they practice the physical practice of foot washing. That's not exactly what Jesus is doing right here. In fact, there's two reasons why I'm not sure that anybody needs to wash feet today. First, we don't walk around dusty roads with flip-flops on. So your feet are probably not dirty. In fact, peel your socks and your feet off. They may be sweaty, but they're not that dirty. So the whole idea of washing dirty feet doesn't work in the first place. But secondly, it misses the more important point here. What Jesus is actually doing is he is serving others by washing their feet, by taking on the lowest form of service in the room. And the idea of washing feet that makes us look good in front of the people that we're serving kind of undermines the whole example that Jesus gave. When you see the word example in John chapter 13, I want you to think, ladies, of a pattern for a dress. I follow the pattern, I stitch stuff together, and the dress 
comes out the way it's supposed to because of the pattern. Or think about it as a recipe. I put the ingredients together following the recipe. I cook it at the right temperature for the right time. And out of the oven comes the desired dish. Guys, think about it like a YouTube video on how to fix a leaky pipe. I follow the video and the pipe doesn't leak anymore. Jesus is giving a pattern here, not a exact example for us to take off our shoes and to wash each other's feet here. And what he's actually doing is he's challenging us to serve this, to serve each other. And get this, y'all. Pride can even creep into the church. Check this out. This is how dangerous and how sub- subtle pride is. Pride can even check or can even make its way into the church in religious rituals. And the very denominations or churches that teach foot washing, not all of them, but some of them, if they're not careful, this foot washing ceremony, they take pride in it. And they start to feel big about themselves for following the pattern that Jesus just set. Did you see what I just said there? Even doing something good that's supposed to make us humble and follow the greatest example of humility can make our hearts proud. And we start to act like we're a pretty big deal because of the religious ritual that we just did. You see, at its essence, and here's why I can't really stomach award shows, at its essence, all pride is a lie. It's ultimately taking something, credit for something, that you don't deserve all of the credit for. Yeah, you did something great. And sure, people want to pat you on the back, and they should be able to pat you on the back. But the ability to do something great comes from somebody who gave you the abilities in the first place. And for those of you who have physical abilities or intellect or you have some talent in an arena that's just natural, you didn't do anything to earn that talent. Yeah, maybe you worked on it and maybe you developed it, but you didn't do anything to earn it. So ultimately, who deserves the credit for the God-given talents that you and I have? Yeah, I thank you very much because it's a pretty much an easy question. Who deserves the credit for the God-given abilities that I have? God deserves the credit for that. And so I, I try to serve others. The challenge for us is to serve others. And then when we start to get a little bit of credit for it, instead of taking responsibility and taking the credit for it, we give the credit where the credit belongs. We give the credit to God. You see, it's a challenge, if we're honest, because our human nature makes us want to be served, not serve. I don't, I, I don't know if you struggle with this, but all, I think all of us to some degree wrestle around with, I really want other people to serve me before I serve them. That's hard enough. Number two gets even harder. Because number two is when you serve somebody to the point that it hurts. See, the challenge on number two, if you are filling in some notes on that mobile app, is to not just serve, but to sacrifice 
Um, and the word sacrifice here basically means you serve to the point that it hurts. There really is no such thing as a sacrifice if it didn't cost you a little bit, if it didn't hurt a little bit along the way. And the idea of sacrifice here is that you're serving somebody else to the point that it hurts a little bit and you don't get a whole lot in return. You might not get anything out of it in return. We're going to hear from Jesus about a sacrifice that he makes to somebody who turns their back on him and stabs him in the back. And by the way, Bible scholars and theologians have spent 2,000 years trying to figure out what was going through Judas's mind when Jesus, get this, is washing his feet. Because at this point in the Last Supper, nobody in the room knows what's about to happen except for Jesus. And when Jesus takes off his cloak and he starts to serve everybody by washing their feet, I hope it's occurred to you, one of the feet that he washed was Judas's feet, who in just a few moments was going to put on his sandals, go outside of the room, and go sell Jesus out for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus knows about this ahead of time, and he's going to explain to his disciples that he knows about it ahead of time because he doesn't want them to lose heart or to lose faith in him. So let's pick the story back up, starting in verse 18. Jesus is talking about serving others and, and, and uh, doing good for others. And then he says, I'm not speaking about all of you. This is a reference specifically to Judas Iscariot, the one who's about to betray him. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. He's saying, I'm telling you now before this happens so that when it happens, you won't think that I didn't know what was coming. You won't think that I wasn't in control and able to stop what's happening. I'm fully aware of what's about to happen and I need you to know after the fact that I'm fully aware of it before it even goes down. Bible scholars have wondered what went into Judas's mind. Was he trying to push Jesus to become king? Jesus, the crowds want you to become king and you're not doing what the crowds want. And the Pharisees are challenging your authority and you're not or you're not um, ruling over them. And even us, your disciples, want you to stand up and to take over and to ride into Jerusalem on the white horse. You're not doing what we want you to do, Jesus. So some Bible scholars believe Judas is going to help Jesus out a little bit by pushing him and making him confront the Pharisees and making him stand up and take his rightful place in Jerusalem as the ruler of the universe. The problem with that is that Judas is going to go to the Pharisees looking for an opportunity to get rich. In fact, John even tells us, we thought it was all about the money because he's always all about the money. He's the guy who holds on to the money. He's always talking about, always thinking about. He's consumed with money. And Judas deliberately goes to them. They don't go to Judas looking for an opportunity to sell out his master, to 
um, sell out the one who has just washed his feet and treated him like um, a servant, or treated him like he was um, his servant. And Judas knows. Um, at this point, I don't even, I'm not even sure if Judas really knows what's about to happen, but sometime during the course of that meal, Satan enters into Judas's heart. Judas leads the room, and Jesus tells Judas, go ahead and do what you got to do. Jesus is telling his disciples ahead of time, hey, this was all part of the plan. It was actually all recorded in Scripture, and it had to happen in order for the Scriptures to be fulfilled. I don't want you to lose hope. I don't want you to lose faith in me when that joker sells me out and I get arrested and then condemned and ultimately die because of it. Because they might be sitting there thinking to themselves, Jesus, did you really know that this was going to happen? Jesus, did you really have enough power to stop this? Or is your power limited? And Judas, something happens inside his heart. And Judas's heart gets twisted. And Judas decides that he's going to make some money off of following Jesus. And as a result... Judas goes out and he sells out the king of kings for 20 pieces of silver. One of the great Protestant reformers, a guy by the name of John Calvin, once talked about our hearts and how easy our hearts are to get tempted and then to become twisted. And John Calvin said in one of his most influential books, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin said that our hearts are perpetual, listen to this phrase, idol factories. That we can take our heart and our heart will turn us into an idol. And we start to violate the Ten Commandments. Now, when I start to talk about pride today, I'm not talking about the seven deadly sins. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments and I'm actually talking about number one on the list. Because number one on the list is to not put anyone or anything in the place of God. And what John Calvin says is, look, when I look in my own heart, when I see the hearts of other people, I see that I can quickly, easily put myself in the place of God. And I become the idol and God becomes my servant instead of him becoming Lord and me becoming the servant. And Jesus is the one who is willing to lay it all aside and willing to serve even to the point that it hurts. When the Bible describes Jesus' servant uh, service, the ultimate, one of the ultimate descriptions comes from a Philippians chapter 2, that he was willing to lay aside his godly abilities, his Godhead, and he was willing to take on flesh and humble himself, is the language the Bible uses. Humble himself to the point of death and willing to go to the cross so that you and I could be made right with God. And this is really right here where you it's almost impossible to cheat on the test. Nobody goes and serves others for very pure, very noble motives unless there's something deep in your heart that's motivating you to do that. Just serving other people is really hard to do unless you're looking for something in return. But what makes it almost impossible is when you serve somebody else to the point that it hurts you a little bit and you get nothing out of it in return. That is godlike service. 
all other forms of serving others is really a transaction. I'm going to do this for you if you'll do this for me. In God's case, he reached down into humanity and he was willing to give up the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could be made right and we can offer him nothing in return for what he's given to us. The God-like service is when you sacrifice for somebody else. And if you're saying, Jeff, I, I want to be able to do that, but I struggle with this. Because I also want other people to notice me and to applaud me and to tell me how awesome I am. So how do I actually serve even to the point of sacrificing and not expect something else in return? And I'll tell you, this is really where the rubber meets the road. You have to remember who sent you. You see, Jesus is going to end this passage today with an explanation of who he is. where he comes from, and in the process, he's going to describe to us who we are and where we are supposed to send all of the glory, give all of the credit. Just verse 20 of John chapter 13, Jesus says this, Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. Jesus is talking about his disciples, which means he's talking about you and I right now. And he's going to use his relationship to God as an explanation of our relationship to him. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. And Jesus is reminding us that, hey, people may want to pat you on the back. They may want to give you lots of credit and lots of applause for the good things that you do. When that happens, why don't you point the attention to the one who sent you, the one who gives you the God-given abilities or gifts in the first place? If you're thinking with me for just a second, he's taking his relationship to the Father and he's explaining it in terms of our relationship to him. And he's saying you're really going to be my disciples. You live towards me just like I lived towards the Father. I said what the Father told me to say. I did what the Father told me to do because he sent me. And the one who sent is not above the one who sent him. Now, if you've been following along in the book of John at this point, and we've spent a lot of time in John, by this point, the crowds have tried to push Jesus to do what they want him to do. Hey, Jesus, you gave us bread. Now we're ready to follow you. You go kick out the Roman government, and you go become our king. And when the crowds are ready to push Jesus, John chapter 6, he refuses to do what they say. The Pharisees are pushing Jesus. Hey, if you really are that awesome, why don't you prove it to us by doing some signs and some miracles? Read the other Gospels in the New Testament, and Jesus will tell them, it's a wicked generation that asks for me to do a magic trick to prove myself to you. I'm not going to do what you ask me to do. The crowds are trying to force him, and he refuses to listen. The The Pharisees are trying to force Jesus, and he refuses to listen. And even his own disciples, when he starts to explain, hey, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. Even his own disciples say, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus refuses to listen to his own followers. He's only doing what the Father challenged him, called him to do. 
And as a result, he doesn't give in to the crowds. He doesn't give in to the Pharisees. He doesn't give in to his own followers. And I'm telling you this because I can make life a lot simpler for you this week. It may not be easy, but I can make life a lot simpler for you this week. This week, when you start to face some challenges and you are pulled in two different directions, just simply make the decision to follow the one who sent you and give him glory. This week, when you have some dilemmas in front of you and you're not really sure what to do at work, in your marriage, at home, whatever it is, when you're facing those difficulties, choose the option that is going to best bring glory to God instead of bringing credit to you and then simply allow God to take the credit for what happens next. And in doing so, you will be fulfilling exactly what Jesus said. The first shall become and the last shall become first. In fact, in John cha- or I mean in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus uses this unusual example because I don't think his disciples were getting it. This is so hard that he had to put an object lesson in front of them, which tells me it's going to be a challenge for me or you when we really want to take credit, when we really want to get the applause to let all of the applause go to the one who sent us. So Matthew chapter 18, people are coming, crowds are coming, Jesus is surrounded by people who all want to touch him, all want to talk to him, all want a little bit of his time. And the disciples are trying to thin the crowds. And one of the first groups of people that they think we can get rid of, we can move these people out of the way, are the children. So in Matthew 18 verse 4, Jesus rebukes his disciples. He basically says, hey guys, knock it off. And then he places a child in front of him. And he makes this really unusual statement. In fact, I really wrestled with this statement for years. He says in Matthew 18 verse 4, anyone who does not humble himself like a child and follow me cannot be my disciple. There are other uh, examples of this uh, incident in the Bible where Jesus says, anyone who does not become like a child. But in Matthew 18, verse 4, Jesus specifically says to humble themselves like a child. Now, when I've heard preachers talk about this passage for decades, what I've typically heard them say is, well, a child is totally dependent on mama and daddy. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. When they're an infant, they have Everything that they have comes from mama and daddy. And that's really what Jesus is challenging us to do, to be totally dependent on our father in heaven. True, but I don't think it gets to the essence of what he's saying in Matthew 18, verse 4, about humbling yourself. And this is where I struggle with this verse. Because I think to myself, wait a second, Jesus, when you said a child becomes humble, that just doesn't sound right to me. Because I have watched children fall down on the floor and bang their hands and their feet on the floor and scream and cry like they're being murdered just because they didn't get what they want at the grocery store. That doesn't look really humble to me, Jesus. So what exactly do you mean by the word humble? Because a toddler can throw a tantrum that everybody in the universe sees, and that feels a lot like pride to me. Like, I want what I want right now, and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to make everybody miserable. And as I started to do a little bit of research on Matthew 18, verse 4, 
what the scholars kept pointing to is a child's place in society. That child has no honor. That child has no respect in Jesus's day. Mama and daddy get all of the credit. Mama and daddy get all of the respect, even when the child does something right. I realize this may be a very foreign concept to some people that are watching this broadcast. There are some parts of the world where parents basically revere and almost worship their children because they placed all of their hopes and all of their dreams for the future in their children, and the children pretty much run the household. In Jesus' day, it wasn't like that. In Jesus' day, a child had no honor in society. A child had no real respect. Basically, a child had zero followers on social media in Jesus' day. Mama and daddy got all of the credit. Mama and daddy got all of the attention. And when Jesus places this child in front of them, he says, if you really want to be my disciple, if you really want to learn what it looks like to follow me, I want you to model yourself to follow the example or the pattern of this child who doesn't ever get credit for what they do. Their father or their mother gets all of the credit when they do something awesome. And maybe this week at work, somebody's going to pat you on the back and they're going to say, man, you really worked hard and you did a great job and I'm proud of you. And you should be willing to say, hey, I really did work hard. Thank you. It feels good to be noticed. But can I tell you, and here's where we're going to give credit to the one who sent us. Can I tell you where my passion or my drive comes from? It actually comes from my relationship with my father. Not my father here on earth, but my father in heaven. And everything that I do, I do to bring him glory. Everything that I do, I do so that he gets the applause, not me. It goes back to Lecrae's acceptance speech. Hey, there's some incredible gifts in this room at the Grammy Awards. And it's a celebration of the gifts when people stand up and receive the greatest award in their industry for their line of work. But it really should be a celebration of the one who gives the gifts, the one who sent the gifts in the first place, the gift giver. So when you get a little bit of respect, when you get a little bit of attention this week, why don't you try to divert that attention to the one who gave you the gifts in the first place, the one who sent you to do what it is you're doing in the first place? Why don't you take Jesus's challenge and not just hear what it means to be humble? but to do what it means. For those of you who know Jesus Christ, who have been following him for years, I want to point you to the second thing that's on the screens because maybe this week you're going to have an opportunity to drive by somebody on the side of the road who is in need and needs somebody to serve them. Why don't you, instead of passing right by, why don't you take that opportunity and serve them? Maybe it's in your marriage this week that you have a choice of either being served or serving. Why don't you take the opportunity and serve first like Jesus did? And it, in fact, might even make a big difference at, with your boss, or it may make a big difference with your spouse when you serve for no reason whatsoever other than to just honor Jesus. And if you really want extra credit and bonus points, 
Serve to the point that it hurts a little bit. Serve to the point that it's a sacrifice for you. Asking for nothing in return. In just a second, I'm going to pray that God's people will this week take the challenge and find somebody and just serve them. Asking and expecting nothing in return. But maybe somebody's tuned into this broadcast. I really hope there's somebody who's listening right now who has never really totally humbled themselves. They've basically come to God with pride and said, God, I'm a pretty good person. And God, when I die, I think that my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. And I want you to let me into heaven because of how good I am. Look at all of the good. Look at how much better I am than my neighbor, God. I want you to let me into heaven because my good outweighs my bad. That kind of pride is going to be the very thing, Matthew chapter 7, that causes Jesus to look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. The humility that he's asking for for the first time in your life is to come to him and to say, God, I'm totally helpless. God, my sins are always in front of me and there's no amount of good deeds that I can do that would make my bad deeds go away. I can't erase the bad that I've done just by doing good. So God, I need you to erase it. So I'm coming to you totally helpless. I'm coming to you humble and in need of your forgiveness for the first time. And if you are serious and pray out a prayer of faith like that, I promise you from the promises of Scripture, God hears those kind of prayers. He honors those prayers, and He radically changes somebody's life. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.